All right, let's imagine for a moment and kind of try to put ourselves in this uh, scripture story a little bit. Imagine for a moment that each of us is on the edge of a large crowd. Um, we've been following Jesus in, with this crowd. You've been listening, trying to hear everything, trying to understand. You haven't gotten everything, but you find this Jesus to be pretty compelling, uh, perhaps a little bit alarming, and Jesus is on his way to the synagogue to teach, which was Jesus' practice. And so kind of compelled by this mysterious man, you follow Jesus in and you take a seat. What do you see? Like everyone else in the synagogue on that day, you see a grotesquely disfigured person, a woman who's hunched over. Perhaps she's sitting completely alone. Now, in a village where everyone's life was public, people would all know exactly how long this woman had been like this. And so you're trying not to stare at her, but you can't help taking your eyes off her. Nobody could take their eyes off of her. She's doubled over. She had gotten used to seeing the world sideways, having to turn her head sideways, looking out of the corner of her eye and up to be able to see things around her. Most of the time, she spent her time looking down. This is the way she saw the world, and it's also kind of ironically the way that the world saw her. And so no one could explain medically why she was the way she was, but that didn't stop him from trying. Was it psychological? Was it spiritual? Had she been verbally or physically abused as a child? And so on this particular day, there's a buzz in the synagogue. It's the Sabbath, this day of worship, the day of celebration, a day of liberation, a day of rest. This Galilean preacher named Jesus, this prophet, was in town and would be teaching in the synagogue. So she, this woman, and others had heard the rumors about this Jesus who everywhere he went was healing people. Um, he was proclaiming this message of the kingdom of God. And so she goes with the crowd. She's trying not to get her hopes up, though. She'd done that before. Each time, been let down, always left wanting, disappointed, still unable to walk, still looking down, still being looked down upon by others. So you're seated not too far from this woman, and you wonder, what will Jesus do? How will Jesus see her? Will he somehow see her differently than everybody else sees her? Let's pray. O Lord, your word is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. Give us grace to receive your truth with faith and love, and strengthen us to follow the path that you place us on, through Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's find out the answer to that question. How would Jesus see her? Would Jesus see her like everybody else, or would Jesus somehow see her differently? Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and just then there appeared a woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years. She was bent over and was quite unable to stand up straight. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said, Woman, you are set free from your ailment. When he laid his hands on her, immediately she stood up straight and began praising God. But the leader of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had cured on the Sabbath, kept saying to the crowd, There are six days on which work ought to be done. Come on one of those days and be cured and not on the Sabbath day. 
But the Lord answered him and said, you hypocrites, do not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to give it water? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 long years, be set free from this bondage on the Sabbath day? When he said this, all his opponents were put to shame. The entire crowd was rejoicing at all the wonderful things that Jesus was doing. This is the word of the Lord. It's the last time in Luke's gospel that Jesus is teaching in the synagogue. And as he's teaching, this woman with a spirit that had crippled her for 18 years appears. With this type of language, Luke seems to be saying a few important things. First, he's saying that, look, things are not as they're supposed to be. This is not how this woman is supposed to be. Things are not right. They're not as they should be, and they're not as they will be when the kingdom of God is complete. It's this acknowledgement that there are forces at work in the world that are counterproductive to the gospel. Second, Luke seems to be saying that, medically speaking, they have no idea what's wrong with this woman. And finally, the nature of her condition is just, it's really serious. It's not, it's not a laughing matter. This was a really, this person was, had suffered for 18 years. And so with all of our medical advances today, we still understand that these things happen sometimes without apparent explanation or cure. So in our family, we understand this well. My mom battles a very degenerative form of multiple sclerosis. She has for uh, decades. And so we understand very little about MS, not even close to a cure. And so while we know very little about this disease, the one person who knows quite a bit about it is my mother. She knows because she lives it. Uh, she knows it really well. She knows exactly what this disease has done to her. So the woman in our story is the same way. There's no explanation given, but she lives this condition. For 18 years, she's been crippled up and hunched over. And so in this kind of beautiful story, this woman, just by being present, immediately becomes the priority for Jesus. And right here, we learn something. People are the priority. Jesus stops his teaching. In the middle of his sermon, he stops to tend to this woman. He initiates all the action. The story, like some other stories uh, of faith, uh, of healing, talk about the person's faith. Not in this story. Jesus initiates all the action. There's no mention of the woman's faith, but we can assume she's in the synagogue, she's worshiping, maybe she came in with the crowds, that something in her is stirring like the crowds that had followed Jesus in. But with really simple and direct words, Jesus frees her from her condition. He lays his hands on her, and she immediately stood up straight and began praising God. All right. So, I had hip surgery a couple months ago, and what I learned this week, and I was wondering why I'm having such a hard time with my recovery and I'm not walking real well, and I learned something this week, that my surgically repaired leg is a half an inch short, okay? So that makes a difference, right? So what happened was my back was tightening up, and like two weeks ago, I was like stuck kind of forward a little bit. <laughs> not like this, not, sure, nothing like this poor woman, but I made an appointment to see my chiropractor, and he was the one who said, oh, you're, just so you know, the reason this is happening to you is because your leg's a half an inch short. Um, and he works his magic on me, and I literally stood up off the table completely upright, right? After like five minutes of this guy working on me, it was absolutely incredible. It's nothing compared to this, right? Like, I felt absolutely amazing. 
And it made me think when I looked at this story, though, how long had it been for this woman? How long had it been since someone had ever even touched her? Think about this. When was the last time someone offered her meaningful, real, human, compassionate touch? When was the last time someone hugged her? You know, we see Jesus, we see this healing touch from Jesus, and when Jesus touches her, her this bondage, this thing that had a grip on her was broken. Now, not everyone, and she, you know, I love this part too, not everyone, uh, not everyone here was happy, right? She begins praising God. Some people in the crowd begin praising God, but not everyone. The synagogue leader is furious. There's six days in which work ought to be done, and guess what day was not one of those? The Sabbath, Right? So it's interesting, like, I didn't even thought about this until just this second, that the synagogue leader actually says, hey, you people, there's six days in which to be healed. Don't come on this day. He actually puts it back on the crowd. I just thought of that. This is the first time I've even thought about that. Um, he kind of puts it back on them. But it's, this complaint, it's sort of slightly in the tiniest way fair. He is at least attempting to base his interpretation of Torah. So here's, here's from Exodus 31, 14. It says, you shall keep the Sabbath because it's holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Pretty harsh penalty for profaning the Sabbath. Um, whoever does any work on it shall be cut off from among the people. So the synagogue leader, at least he's trying to make his argument from Scripture, but he's got a little bit of a tight stranglehold on the Word of God. <laughs> so there's this power struggle going on, right? The synagogue leader is in charge, but Jesus... All eyes are on Jesus. Everyone is in this awkward position. The question becomes, has Jesus profaned the Sabbath? Has he worked? Has he done work? And so Jesus makes his argument for restricted kinds of work on the Sabbath. Because acts of mercy in Judaism in the first century were considered pretty legit to do on the Sabbath. So Jesus makes his argument. The Mishnah, which is this kind of book of uh, rabbis making arguments, uh, the Mishnah says that there are exceptions to the rule. One of them was that you could allow your animals to eat and drink on the Sabbath, which is great. <laughs> How could it be otherwise? I mean, I just, this kind of blows my mind that people actually might argue about this. Um, but this kind of dialogue in Jewish tradition is, is really normal. Um, it still is even today. And so Jesus argues for healing on the Sabbath based on this woman's great worth. This is where I think there's a little bit of a break. Um, it's this argument that the rabbis would call like lesser to greater. Basically, like if you can take care of your animals, why can't you take care of your people? Because people are even more important. And so Jesus is arguing to the synagogue leader, like, look, you treat your animals better than you treat this woman. And it should stop and cause to make us think we treat our animals real well, like <laughs> real well in my house. Like, a little too well. Um, do we treat our animals better than we treat some people? Like, yeah, think about that. I'm serious. I, I think I do sometimes. You know, this, this made me think, um, what are the ways in which we do that? And so here we encounter kind of the beauty of Jesus, the compassionate heart of God. Jesus renames this woman. And it's, it's pretty cool. Um, imagine the names that people were calling this woman behind her back. Like, we know people were doing it. And Jesus stands up publicly, and he renames her. He calls her a daughter of Abraham. 
She's a child of the covenant promise. This is what Jesus is trying to say. She too is created in the image of God. She has worth. She's valued. She's loved. And Jesus is saying, what better day is there to heal than the Sabbath, this day of deliverance? So earlier, Steve read from Isaiah 58, um, in which the prophet paints us this picture of what the Sabbath was really for. And in it, we see uh, that one of the purposes of Sabbath is, is liberation. It's this about creating a just, fair, human society. It's this uh, society of justice and generosity. And he listed out a couple things, like offering food to the hungry, healing the afflicted. It's about choosing, it said, to pursue the interests of other people. It's not about selfishness, but generosity. And the idea here with Isaiah's vision of what the Sabbath was is he's saying, like, look, God has given enough. Even on the seventh day, God rested. And so in gratefulness uh, for all God has given, we are to delight in God's generosity and respond with this generosity of our own. A generosity, says Isaiah, that loosens the bonds of injustice. So Isaiah says that God delights in us when we pursue this kind of Sabbath that our individual and collective light shall rise in the darkness. And this is, the, this is my favorite part by far. It says that we will be called repairers of the breach. Just think about those words. Repairers of the breach and restorer of the streets. Repairing divisions, restoring neighborhoods. Like what a beautiful vision of what Sabbath is. And this is the kind of Sabbath like we should be able to get behind this. And this is the kind of Sabbath that God wants and the kind of Sabbath that God honors. And so the question really becomes, there's two kind of options here. Will we choose this rule-based, legalistic Sabbath that has a stranglehold on God's word? Will we choose a Sabbath that shrinks God and puts God into a tiny box? Or will we choose a more liberating, celebratory Sabbath, one that allows God to be God? And so Jesus sees right through their double standards. He calls them hypocrites, one of his favorite words. He says, you guys work on the Sabbath. What are you doing talking to me, right? They're trying to stop Jesus. Jesus says, you're play acting. You're putting on a show. But you're not participating in the real Sabbath that honors God. He tells them, it's like, look, you untie your animals to drink, but you don't want to untie this bound up woman. And so Jesus says he wants to unbind all people, the people of Israel, each one of us. And so we're kind of left thinking about the fact that, look, we're all bound by something. The Bible might say we're bound by sin, caught in the grip of this struggle between the things that tie us up, the things that bind us up, and this liberating kingdom message that Jesus brings. So I want to close with just a couple thoughts we find ourselves back where we began, seated in that crowd where we could see this, this woman, and we too have to decide for ourselves about this Jesus who heals on the Sabbath. This Jesus who takes Scripture really seriously, but also in some way we see him hold it lightly. We see these two responses, anger and praise. Two vastly different responses, and we've got to ask ourselves, right, which the proper response, what is, what is Luke trying to say? The proper response to the inbreaking of God's kingdom in our lives and in this world is always praise. So the other thing that really made me think 
uh, was the difference between how we often see people and how Jesus sees people. When my mom was able to get out, uh, which has been a little while now, and she, she, had, she was in a wheelchair, um, like we go out in public and we got used to, we got used to the looks, you know? Um, people staring, people wondering, people trying to guess what was wrong. And when you think about this, you say that people see disease. They see multiple sclerosis, but they don't see the person. So people often, we do this stuff all the time. But if we only see the disease, what are we missing out on with the person? We're missing out on the person when we only see this one thing. It made me really think about this question. It made me wonder, who does Jesus see that we don't? <laughs> you know? Like, who do we just miss out on because we're not seeing them? We're not looking at them like Jesus is. And I like those words of Isaiah. If we want to be called repairers of the breach and restorer of streets, we know we're going to have to see people like Jesus sees them. We're going to have to develop some, some eyesight that sees everyone as sons and daughters of Abraham, like Jesus said, eyesight that views people for who they are, eyesight that sees people's dignity, their worth, their value. And so we have this one healing of this one woman. What made me think is every time that the chains that bind one person are broken, another victory is won. Like when you toss a pebble into a pond, those ripples have far-reaching repercussions that maybe we can't even imagine. The scripture doesn't say the finish of her story. What, what do we think happened to her? Don't you wonder, were other lives changed because of this one healing? Did more people decide to follow Jesus to Jerusalem because they witnessed Jesus touch and heal this woman? I have to imagine that the answer is probably yes. And so we see that the Sabbath is for liberation, it's for justice, the Sabbath is for worship, it's for praise, the Sabbath is for generosity and rest. So may we all join in the kind of Sabbath, the kind of Sabbath that honors God, so that we too might be called repairers of the breach and restorers of our streets. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your compassionate heart, uh, we thank you, God, that you see us for who we really are when we often uh, look and see people quite differently. God, help us to have eyes uh, like you do that really see people's value and worth. And God, may we join in willingly opening our hearts and our hands in generosity in response to all you are and all you've done. Give us the courage to do, to do that kind of work and to participate in that kind of Sabbath. Amen.